Hello and welcome back to the Stuck In Between podcast. My name is Romy. And I'm Sandon. Thanks so much for joining us. In today's episode, we chat with the super inspirational Janu Deyanabhan. Janu is a South Asian woman who has a genetic disorder called NF and was recently interviewed by the ABC on her story. We discussed Janu's journey to self-love and the lack of promotion of self-love, particularly in the South Asian community. You'll also notice that we refer to Janu as Janu Akka. Within a lot of South Asian cultures, we refer to people who are older than us using particular terminology. So for people who are roughly your parents' age, you'd refer to as auntie or uncle, but in your respective language. But in Tamil culture, we also refer to people who are older than us, but not quite parent figures, as either Anna or Akka, which translates to big brother or big sister. So we call Janu, Janu Akka as a way to show respect, which is found in our community. Yep. So let's get into it. Janu Akka, welcome to the podcast and thank you so much for joining us today to share your story. Thank you. Thank you. I'm honoured to be on your podcast. No, it's our honour. <laughs> Um, before we jump in, could you tell us a bit about yourself and what self-love means to you? Sure. So my name's Janu. Um, I work in finance for a fintech startup. Um, yeah, so um, I was born in Sri Lanka, but we left Sri Lanka when I was four months old. And then we only came to Australia when I was one and a half. So I never really was exposed to the Sri Lankan culture. So, you know, it was quite interesting because I grew up here and... When we came to Australia, we were in Brisbane and Brisbane was less multicultural. I think maybe Sydney was a bit more multicultural, like in, oh gosh, I'm going to show how old I am now. In the 1980s, it was very, <laughs> very different. So there weren't any other Sri Lankan families around really. And so kids did tease my brother and I about our brown skin and made fun of us. And wow. so, you know, you never really felt like you fit in to Australia because we just stuck out like sore thumbs and language wise culture wise I just felt completely disconnected from Tamilness and I also mm. felt disconnected from Aussiness so I was kind of in this weird sort of you, you say that you're stuck in between yes <laughs> good setup um, thank you um so um self-love to me is about respecting yourself and being kind to yourself setting boundaries as well like um knowing you know when those boundaries have been crossed and not putting up with behaviors that cross those boundaries internally and externally yeah yeah wow so wise and we're only like one minute in <laughs> so Janoaka, i guess one of the the main things um that you were faced with at a young age was you were diagnosed with nf or yeah. Neurofibromatosis. Well done. Got it Did in I one. do it right? Yes. <laughs> um, when you were eight years old, um, I, I believe. If just I before nine. I turned nine, yeah. Um, can you tell us a little bit about NF? I won't try to pronounce it again. I'll just call it <laughs> NF. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about that and what your initial reaction to your diagnosis was? So NF is basically, um, it's a set of genetic conditions. So there's actually three types. So there's NF1, which is what I have, NF2, and then there's schwannomatosis. So there's three types, and it basically causes tumors to grow all through the body along the nerve cells. So on the skin, the spine, in your limbs, on the brain, on the optic nerves, auditory nerves, basically anywhere where there are nerve cells. So it can cause deafness, blindness. Um, if it's on your brain, it can cause problems. Um, on your spine, it can cause paraplegia if it grows in the wrong place so it comes with a whole raft of risks and 
It also puts you in the high risk for cancer, so you have to have regular checks and scans and things like that. Um, Funnily enough, the anniversary of my diagnosis just passed, so I was diagnosed on Valentine's Day in 1991, and um, I was very young, and my parents kind of shielded me from a lot of the information about the diagnosis, so I don't really remember reacting to it, because I don't think I fully grasped the gravity of the diagnosis and what it entailed so I just thought okay there's something different about me but I didn't really understand what or you know what it meant. So you said that um, different people might experience different symptoms what are the symptoms that you've experienced? So for me I had hand-eye coordination problems, learning difficulties and I also have a lot of tumors all over my skin outside my body so on my back my my belly, like on my all over my torso, arms, legs. So I have hundreds of tumors, which only showed up um, at puberty. So when all the hormones mm. rage through your body, that's when they all just showed up. That sounds like a lot for a teenager to be dealing yeah. with. It was not. It was not fun. Um, it's sort of hard enough. Like, so when I was a teenager, if you looked at all the beauty magazines, the girls on the front cover were thin. They had flawless skin, flawless hair. They were white, able-bodied, you know, slim, fit, all of those things. And because I didn't fit into any of those categories, I think the only thing that I fit into was able-bodied. I just, I felt ugly just as a normal teenager. And then NF sort of piled on top of it was just a whole other ball game. Yeah, that's so hard to navigate, especially because I'm not sure if there's any other people in your life who went through it. No, so, I you know, didn't know anyone I'm, else who had NF. Yeah, so, yeah. so no one you could really relate really to. Connect with or like work through it with. And on top of that, I'm the only person in my family with it. So seeing all the girls in my family who look normal, you know, even the women in my family who look normal, it was just like, oh my God, why can't I be normal too? Yeah. Yeah. So once you hit puberty and once those signs became kind of more obvious, did people start treating you differently? Yes. So so when I was first diagnosed, um, when my parents told the extended family, this is what's happened, like John has been diagnosed with this, they sort of advised my parents, it's probably better you don't tell anyone John who has this genetic disorder because the community might react negatively to it. Mm-hmm. So the decision was made to protect in order to protect me, don't tell anyone about it. Don't talk about it. And I know like it was from a place of love and they wanted to protect me, but it actually, well, it was fine at that time because I looked normal, but um, in air quotes. And um, it was when I was a teenager when it became obvious there was something different about me and people started asking questions and I couldn't talk about it. So I didn't know how to answer it. So I'd avoid the question. I'd change the subject or I'd make something up. So people know you're hiding something and so it made it very hard to connect with people yeah and then obviously that would affect how you saw yourself Mm. and your self-esteem oh definitely definitely because like as it is it's hard enough to be diagnosed with this disorder and then on top of that to feel like you can't tell anyone it makes you feel a lot of shame and embarrassment like and so I suffered a lot of depression anxiety and all kinds of mental health issues And there were times when I contemplated actually ending it all because I thought if I did, then I wouldn't be a burden on my parents. I wouldn't have to put up with all the stares, the the intrusive questions and just 
feeling really crap about myself. Um, thankfully, I didn't. I'm still here. And yeah. 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 I think it shows how uh, courageous you are to yeah, have gone definitely. through all of that. And now you're ambassador for NF and you're sharing your yeah. story with others. And, um, exactly. And, you know, doing a lot of work in that space. Uh, you know, that's something really inspirational to see you do. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. Um, so, yeah, so through my teenage years, I struggled with that. And then, um, and I, and when I got depressed, Amma used to say to me, don't worry, when you get to your mid twenties and your late twenties, this stuff will stop mattering. And I'd always cry and be like, you're just saying that because yeah. you're my mum and you, it's your job to make me feel better. Like, that's not true. And I didn't believe her. But then when I hit about 26, 27, I actually realised that I stopped caring about all that superficial crap and I actually said to Amma, oh my god, you're right, people don't give a crap about this at this age. And she was like, yeah, I told you. And um, so that's when it really started shifting. But in my early 20s, I did open up and confide in two of my Aussie friends about my NF and it was really scary doing it because I was scared they were going to not want to be my friend anymore and... And when I told them, they were like, of course, we still want to be your friend, you know, um, you know, yeah. we'll always be here for you. And they accepted me. And I was like, oh, it surprised me. But I still didn't believe I was worthy of that friendship and love and respect. Mm-hmm. So I always used to think one day they're going to turn around and not want to be my friend anymore. And they're still my friends now, mm-hmm. two of my closest friends. And um, around 27, I thought. I'm going to stop hiding this and, you know, if anyone asks, I'll try and explain it as best I can. And yeah, so fast forward to 2019, so two years ago when I was 37, um, I had to have surgery to remove a whole bunch of lumps from my scalp. So from my head, my neck, my shoulders. Um, so that meant I had to shave my hair off. So I thought, why not turn this negative into a positive and do a fundraiser, but do it for the Children's Tumor Foundation, which is um, NF's charity. So I reached out to them and they said, yeah, we'd love to support you in that. And I actually turned it into a full-blown proper fundraiser, you know, had a fundraising page set up, the whole works. Um, And when I shared the fundraiser, I thought, this is an opportunity just to tell the whole world once and for all in one fell swoop, I have NF, this is what it is, this is what I've gone through, and I did, and I was very nervous after I hit post, I just was sort of refreshing my screen, waiting for, you know, the trolley comments, and it was a public post as well, so the whole world would have been able to see it, and um, all these messages came through saying, you're so amazing, you're so brave, oh my god, I had no idea, and people were reaching out from all over the world, like friends who'd moved overseas saying, oh my God, I had no idea you had gone through that. Why didn't you tell me? I would have been yeah. there for you and I would have supported you through this whole thing. And and I realized in that moment that I was actually worthy of love and kindness and mm-hmm. the care of people. And normally you have to find that within yourself. But for me, it kind of, I was fortunate it happened the opposite way. Like I had all this external evidence that I was worthy of this kindness and Mm. it just completely shifted my mentality and so uh, a friend told me I should set a fundraising goal of $10,000 and I was like no that's too greedy I can't ask for that much money that's nuts so I set the fundraising goal for $3,000 and the next morning or the next afternoon I'd already hit the $3,000 fundraising goal 
And so she's like, see, Janu, up it to 10, up it to 10. I was like, no. <laughs> and so I only upped it to five, and I just kept on like little small increments, and I, and I, I ended up raising. More than $16,000 that you raised? Sixteen, yeah, $16,000. Amazing. Yeah, and, that's so amazing. And just all these messages, and people were actually calling my parents as well, saying, why didn't you tell us we could have supported you as well, you know? And. Ooh. It just opened up my eyes to the fact that I had nothing to be ashamed of anymore. Yeah. And I deserved kindness. I didn't have to hide this. There was nothing wrong with me. I did nothing wrong to have this disorder, you know. I I was born with it. Yeah. I think as well, to to some extent, everyone has some sort of insecurity about themselves or are dealing with with something. And often they appreciate when someone comes out with their own difficulties because it kind of mirrors or even if it's not the same thing that they're going through it almost well, yes. an inspiration for them that yeah. okay I'm not alone in what I'm going through even if it's not the same thing for so sure. I think you know what you did obviously just helped a lot of people so it was amazing of you to to be that brave thank you and 100% like when you actually are vulnerable and open and share with people, then they don't feel like they need to be ashamed of whatever they're going through as well. And yeah. maybe they'll open up and ask for help as well. Yeah. So it's really important that people do that. And it's really important to open up because not only will you get love and support from people, you'll also give other people that permission to open up about their problems. Mm. Yeah. Certainly. Um, a quick thing that I wanted to ask you about as well, uh, from you know when you were younger and, and struggling with all of this, how did that affect your sense of belonging? Um, I know already you were struggling with you know being a, a brown person, I guess in in Queensland and in the Western world, but then also having an F. H- how did that really affect your so I was, belonging? I was diagnosed after we came to Sydney, but yep. even then, like I didn't fit into this standard of beauty or normal appearance that you see in magazines on tv and in the media of being white and beautiful and all of that so I didn't fit in there I didn't really fit into the brown community because I wasn't a typical Tamil girl I wasn't this demure soft-spoken kind of person so I didn't fit in there and I didn't feel I fit into my family because I was the only one with NF and I didn't feel like I belonged there so I actually didn't feel I belonged anywhere and Back then, there was no Facebook, there was no social media, no internet. So there was no way to connect with other people with NF across the world. Mm. But yeah. now, with the advent of social media and everything, I'm a part of a group on Facebook where there's thousands of people with NF who share their troubles. And, you know, they'll ask a question. I'll be like, oh, my God, yes, that happens to me too. and Or I can ask them as well. And they'll be like, yes, I have the same problem. And, you know, you don't feel so abnormal anymore all these networks exist now that didn't exist Mm. when I was a kid. Yeah, that's a really good point. Something I want to circle back to that you said earlier was, you know, like in today's age, there's so many forces that kind of act as hurdles or barriers to finding self-love, right? Like, um, you know, from the facades that we portray and consume in social media or the standards of beauty that you were referring to or like the superficial ways um, to achieve happiness or success that's pushed through advertising and products like skin lightening creams and things like that, right? Mm. So I can imagine for you that going through those internal battles, navigating NF, those challenges would have been only perpetuated by all of those external things, right? Yes. Uh, What do you see as some of the broader societal distractions which which throw us off kind of finding self-love? 
I would say one big thing would be, well, obviously the media. So magazines and TV, movies, mm. um, all of that. And social media is another big one. Like you see all these people who have this perfect life. They go on all these holidays and they have the nice car and the nice house and, you know, the nice girl or guy on their arm. And I think all of that also adds to that sort of pressure like when people see their lives and see oh my life isn't like that you know I suck I'm a loser blah 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 other things would be um also expectations societal expectations as well mm. like you know um I think they're all barriers to self-love it's even more reason to kind of appreciate how far you've come because yeah. you know all of these things that you spoke to is something that we all kind of face day-to-day right oh but you definitely. have that extra challenge of navigating nf as well yeah i actually um so i lost weight and i'd gotten really fit and i ran into a family friend and she actually said oh johnny you look so lovely you've lost weight and blah 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 and then in the next breath she literally said but it's such a shame about your skin and so my oh, self-esteem went God. up and went crashing back down and I was just like damn those karyantes are savage yeah. yeah so that's a really great segue um into the next thing we wanted to chat with you about Januaka around the barriers to self-love but particularly in our South Asian community and you really hit on a couple of those um but you know I, I feel like you know self-love is not really promoted in our culture at all not at first all, of all. I'd, I'd actually say it's the opposite almost like you know you're yeah. not you're never good enough no matter what you do like yeah. even if you get the good grades get the good job get yeah. the, you know get buy the nice house you know marry the right girl or guy like there's always like it's something like, else it's like right? the goalposts keep moving yeah 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 and and then for me on top of that I'd constantly have curry aunties coming up to me and saying things like, why don't you put yogurt and honey and turmeric mixed with something else on your skin? This girl who lives in Sri Lanka did that and now her skin's so beautiful. And like, I know it's well-meaning advice and they do it because they care and they want to help me, but it doesn't help because they're just literally zeroing in on one of your flaws and trying to fix you when I don't need fixing. Like I'm like, they should just say you're fine just the way you are. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And you should just be happy the way you are and and look in like internally not just external I feel like everything that you've mentioned you know the the losing weight and all of that's all just superficial external things that people exactly. really focus on sure. not really your achievements those should be the things that people are, are talking about what about just being a kind and decent human yeah, being exactly yeah we do a lot of comparisons in our community. Yeah. So you always, like like you said, Janaka, you're always kind of trained to think that nothing is good enough. So even like a, like a stereotypical example is like, you know, when you come home from school and you got 90% on your exam, right? Yeah. A lot of people in community say, okay, but Ravi Uncle's kid got 95%. Mm. Why couldn't you do that? Or the other one is you got 96% in the exam and it's what happened to the other 4%? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, exactly. And then we also make, like you said, in our communities, a lot of people make a lot of like passive comments. Mm. Um, Things like, you know, oh, you put on weight. Oh, you're too skinny. Oh, you've gotten a lot darker. Maybe spend less time in the sun. Yeah. Without realizing how impactful those kind of comments are. 
And sometimes we don't realize the battles that people are going through. And I think another thing in our community is that we don't compliment each other no. enough. I feel like all the positives are just diminished and all of these like nitpicky things that we talked about before is what gets spoken about. It's almost like we don't want to elevate someone else because it makes us look worse yeah. or something. It's that comparison and you're like, oh, if I call her like nice or kind or whatever then like it makes me less of that and yeah. I, I feel yeah. like that's also something that needs to go away <laughs> and on the flip side curry girls do not know how to receive a compliment like you know if it's like oh you know if they say oh that's such a lovely sari you look so beautiful you go oh no not this old thing you know I just got it from a Muzz collection or something for, for you know. people who are listening I am giving Romy kind of the squint eye look because she <laughs> is a perfect example of this that's the thing people don't know how to receive a compliment like genuinely receive it and they you know because they don't feel they deserve it and i think curry girls are more guilty of that than curry guys mm. in terms of not being able to receive a compliment mm. do you and think, probably do you think women. that's because the messages you receive from the community and from society that they're more like you'll you'll never be good enough than the kind of messages that guys get I think that's it, yeah. And um, girls are told, you know, you have to do this. You have to, you know, you have to get married. You've got to have the babies. You've got to have a perfectly clean house, you know. You've got to have a meal on the table and all while juggling a job as well. So you you have to do it all. Yeah. And then if you're struggling, it's like, oh, wait, but this other person is doing a really good job of juggling all those things. Why can't you be as good as them? Exactly. So, yeah. So I think that's another problem as well. And I think the brown community need to change how they approach these things. They need to give positive reinforcement to girls, mm. even young boys as well, I think as well, like, you know, that you are good enough. And you know, just because you haven't achieved all of these things in the same time as this other person doesn't mean you're not good enough. It just means your time hasn't come yet. Yeah. 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 Run your own race. Exactly. Run your own race. And that whole thing about commenting on people's appearance, I've had a random Sri Lankan who I didn't even know, like total stranger, come up to me at the gym while I was working out. He sort of goes, oh, are you Sri Lankan? And he's like, oh, what happened to your skin? And I'm like, excuse me? And he said, yeah, yeah, your skin, what happened to it? Because I've seen you here before and it looks way worse than last time. Oh my and I just didn't know how to respond. I think, I think you mentioned that. This isn't the first time that something like this has happened to you, right? Um, how do you react or how do you deal with those situations when they do happen? I still, like, I will be honest and say I still struggle with it. And, you know, I'm not in the, you know, I'm never going to be in that perfect place where, you know, nothing affects me. It's, it's, it's a process. And um, so sometimes, like, what I've done is I've actually posted a bit of a, a rant on Facebook just to, like, get the horrible feelings out and then... And I shared the gym story on my Facebook wall and a whole bunch of people commented, messaged and reached out and just said, you know, just ignore him. He's an idiot. And, and it just made me feel so much better. And the um, other barrier I'd say to self-love is the inquisitive nature of the South Asian community, you know, like always in your business, mm. sort of telling you how you should do things and what you should be doing and what you shouldn't be doing. Mm. So the guilt yeah. and the shaming. Yeah, yeah so you kind of forced sometimes to live your life the way yeah. someone else wants yeah, on someone else's terms you're living yeah so yeah. you're living someone else's life versus your own mm, yeah and maybe in some ways you know because the parent if parents couldn't fulfill a certain dream they'll try and fulfill it yes. through the child through the mm. yeah live vicariously 
And then when the child doesn't fulfill it, then the child feels shame and guilt that they didn't meet these expectations. My kid's going to be the first Tamil to play in the NBA. Oh my goodness! <laughs> so yeah, I'm not. I'm not doing the same thing. I'm not vicariously living your, through your my child's dreams. Your kid's gonna come crying to me, being like, "Romi <laughs> auntie, <laughs> help! Help us, crazy!" <laughs> um, so you know, despite all of these, you know, pressures and all these external forces, as well as internal forces that kind of uh, get in the way of your journey in finding self love. Where you are today is very different to how you saw yourself when you first got diagnosed with NF and all those symptoms came about, right? Yeah. So how did you get to this place where you are more comfortable with who you are and you are loving yourself more than you did in the past? Um. So I did a lot of work, sort of internally, sort of you know. Um. I just got to a point where I was just fed up of feeling ashamed and hiding my genetic disorder and feeling like I had something to be embarrassed about. It was just like stuff this, I'm done, and so, you know, I did start, as I said, telling people and not feeling embarrassed and ashamed, and and people didn't respond negatively. So, so there were lots of little things along the way that helped me, and so when I did the fundraiser and all these people reached out and with just kindness, you know, all my friends from different races and. Different walks of life were just reaching out and saying, you know, you're amazing, you're strong, you know, we're there for you if you ever need anything. It just completely flew in the face of what my extended family sort of thought might happen back mm. when they sort of advised my parents not to tell anyone. So everything they feared didn't happen. So mm. I was like, oh, I've got nothing to worry about. I've got nothing to be ashamed of. So that was the beginning. Um, so I started actually speaking at different NF events about my journey and you know, how it proved to me that I'm worthy of love and everything. And people within the NF community also reached out to me. So when I spoke at events, like moms with little kids who have NF came up and were like, thank you so much. And then I actually decided to do some personal development programs. So I thought, why not work internally and sort of get myself to a point where I can be a kick-ass NF ambassador. And um, yes. So I started off with like a course that was, it was just a four week course and that helped me at first with um, just my emotional resilience and not letting negativity sort of absorb into me, if that makes sense and setting those boundaries. And I followed it up with a program called Living With Joy, which is about introducing joy back into your life. So I rediscovered things like creative pursuits so um I started sort of drawing and doodling and sketching again which I used to love doing before and so I did that then I did something called the warrior program which was like a four-month intensive program around emotional resilience it was hardcore and um it was it taught me like different techniques that could help with my with my psychological well-being so doing meditation getting regular exercise good diets, getting good sleep. So those sort of baseline things to help with your well-being. But it also taught me other tools and tricks. So I'm not letting people in situations impact my equilibrium. So also I'm in a really supportive, positive workplace with, you know, really wonderful managers. So that helped my self-esteem as well. Um, Receiving lots of positive feedback there and knowing that they valued me. So it started making me feel like I was a valued member. I felt like I belonged in this workplace. And 
and having that sense of belonging really, really helped. So that's really powerful. Yeah, amazing. Yeah. So so I did those courses and I learned quite a few things from the course, but one of the things I learned is that in life pain is actually inevitable. You can't mm. live this pain free existence. It just doesn't happen. It, you're yeah. going to experience pain in life. Like death and taxes, it's guaranteed. And the thing that you can actually make a choice about is will you suffer through that pain? You can choose to just, you know, work through it or you can choose to suffer and curl up into a ball and just, you know, curl up into the fetal position and start crying, you know. Like, you know, you can you can also do that for a little while, but you've got to get up off the mat and, you know, power through and so I've learned that, you know, that's what's optional. So, and in knowing that like now I feel like um if I do experience pain in my life, I can handle it mm. and and I also learned not to put up with crappy behavior. So not letting people into my life who aren't good for me, if that makes sense. Ooh, so, yeah. so setting boundaries. So that's what's really important in self-love. Setting boundaries, not putting up with behavior that... For example, if something happened to Sandin and someone did something really horrible, I'd be like, that jerk, you know, Sandin, you shouldn't put up with it. You should stick it to him. Whereas um, if that person did it to me, I may I may not have been as ready to, you know, stand up for myself. So you've got to think, okay, would I let that happen to my really good friend? Or, you know, and no. So why am I letting it happen to me? Yeah, that even comes down to the way that you talk about yourself and the way you, all the negative things that yes. you know, we kind of say about ourselves. It's never something we would say to our friends. So if we if we wouldn't say it to a friend, why would we talk about ourselves that way? Yeah. I think yes. that's a big thing too. And then to look at it from the other perspective, we share love with the people around us in certain ways. And to achieve self-love, we need to show ourselves that same love, right? Yeah. Exactly. That was another part of my journey to sort of self-love and the other thing as well is, you know when you go to ask a question of someone, you'll go, oh, stupid question. Like, mm. like you have to be mindful of the language you use about yourself. Yeah. And I, I'm, I'm a perpetual overthinker. It might be Romy sends me a text message without using an emoji. And in my head, I'm like, oh, I've done something. She's upset at me, right? <laughs> when, I'm so not, than, when I'm not, I just didn't use an emoji. That was, that's it. <laughs> yeah, so I think I'm trying to do a better job of catching myself to use some of that language and say, okay, I know I'm overthinking. It's just a test. The story I'm telling myself is Romy is upset at me, right? Yes. And then that kind of gets me to take a few steps back and be like, okay, the story I'm telling myself isn't probably true because I know Romy and if I did something to upset her, she'll call me out for it. So maybe I'm overthinking. Maybe I shouldn't think so negatively about what I've done because I probably haven't done anything. It's probably that she no. was just in a rush and just sent a quick text before she had to run off and do whatever else she was doing. Mm. So yeah, d- definitely thinking more about the language that w- we use internally. Uh, yes. It's a big thing. Yeah. And aside from that and the language, the other thing is um, people in my life who I um, sometimes I used to place a lot of value on their opinion and, you know, whether or not they'll accept me. And like when they reject me or they don't accept me, I used to get really hurt and cut up over it. Now I'm like, so be it. You do you and I'll do me. And I don't worry about the people who reject me now because I know I've got this whole group of people over here who love me, accept me Mm. and, you know, and they're my tribe in a way and the rest of them can just go do whatever. Mm. So that also helped as well. Yeah. 
um, changing gear a little bit around, um, I guess, that idea of self-love, what do you think the South Asian community need to do better to, sp- to spread positive messages around self-love and acceptance? I think stop comparing your children to other children. Like, don't stop telling, like, Romy, why aren't you doing what Sandin's doing? Or Sandin, why aren't you more like Romy? Or, you know, those sort of things. Um, that's one thing. Um, when your child does well, like, gets 98% in an exam, don't say what happened to the other 2%. Say, well done, I'm so proud of you. Next time, go for 100. So it's sort of like, you know, it's sort of gearing it more positively. So it encourages them to do better, but without diminishing their achievement. I think also things like what we teach about body image and mm. things like that within yes. our community. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, celebrating each other's achievements rather than finding the flaws just to kind of justify our insecurities, but maybe not achieving the same things that other people are doing. Yes. Um, Stop pulling people down to make yourself feel better. Like just because yeah. Sandin exactly. got 98% yeah. in an exam and you got 95 don't be like, oh yeah, but Sandin's a dork or whatever, you know? Yeah. 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 I don't think you're and a then... dork, by the way, Sandin. <laughs> I, think I, I definitely think I'm a dork, but thanks for that. <laughs> uh, and And things like, you know, being comfortable with running your own race. Yeah. Uh, you know, not everyone's going to achieve the same things at the same pace. Mm. Uh, and, you know, being okay with the fact that sometimes you're not okay. Yeah. With Have honest conversations about mental health. Don't be like, mm. you know, don't gloss over it and sweep it under mm. the rug. Like, have those honest conversations. And I think we need to take every single bottle and tube of Fair and Lovely and burn it in a fire. Like, get rid yeah. of it. Like, you know, all those sort of um, cream and all that crap, just get rid of it. Yeah, you're certainly right. And I feel like there's almost, yeah, just just stop putting your expectations and how you you lived your life or how you wish you lived your life on others around you because everyone has their own timeline. Everyone has different skills. Everyone will do things when it's right for them and pushing someone in, in one direction doesn't necessarily mean it's the best path for them, even if it was the best path for you, I think. Yeah. And if your child yeah. isn't academic, tell yeah. them it's okay, don't worry, like this is maybe this isn't your wheelhouse and maybe exactly. your wheelhouse is sport or art or music or and just let them know they'll figure out what their niche is in the world and they'll probably do really well at it. You know, not everyone's meant to be a doctor, lawyer, accountant, engineer. Yeah. Yeah. And then taking a few steps back, I know a lot of what we just spoke about can be applied to general society, not just the South Asian community as well, right? Correct. So what would your message be for people who might be listening who are struggling with their self-love? Um, be kind to yourself. You know, just because your life isn't perfect and just the way it, you know, you were hoping it would be doesn't mean that it can't be that way. You know, Mm. it can still be that way. Maybe it's just going to take a little longer. And yeah, and if you were rejected from something recently, whether it's a job or an opportunity, it just means that there's a better opportunity out there coming your way. Yeah. And open up and talk to someone because it's most likely that there's someone else out there who's going through a similar struggle to you or could be going through a different struggle but still gets it and maybe, you know, you can help each other work through. Mm. There are lots of professional services out there, like personal development courses, psychologists, you know, Lifeline, all these things. If you don't want to talk to your friends and family, you can talk to someone who's removed from everything and can, you know, 
help you and give you tools and techniques to work through things. Um, I think another benefit of speaking to someone about what's going on is that sometimes the reality that we've built up in our head isn't actual fact. Yeah, it's so sometimes the way we see ourselves, like you were saying, if we're speaking to ourselves internally in a harsh way, other people might not see us the way mm. that we see ourselves. Yeah. yeah. So that's definitely a lot of benefit in getting a different perspective mm. um, because the narratives that we tell ourselves could be very different. Mm. Yeah. And I used to tell myself that, that I wasn't very smart. I wasn't very talented. And in the current role that I'm in, the founder of the company I'm working for was actually, he told right. me, Johnny, you have this, 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 and this skill set, which I think will be great for this job. And it made me really think, oh yeah, I do. And um, I actually told him when I was doing my bedroom renovation that, you know, I actually drew out a diagram and like plans and everything. And I said, this is what happens when you're the niece of an engineer. And he said, no, this is what happens when you're, you know, a data minded, detail oriented person. But yeah. Right. And so he pointed out the trait inside me that, yeah. that yeah, was external. external thing. Yeah. It wasn't because yeah, yeah. my uncle's an engineer, it's because I'm someone who's detail oriented and a planner. So yeah. that's a really good way of putting it. You're, you're attributing your success to yourself, not to these external things. Exactly. You did this. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And sometimes when you talk to a person outside of yourself, they can remind you of those things. Yeah. I actually saw this. Um, I was listening to another podcast, On Purpose by Jay Shetty, uh, which I recommended in our last podcast. But um, one of the exercises he recommends you do is um, go to people whose opinions you value and trust and ask them for, you know, a couple of your best qualities. Yeah. And it really helps you then as well kind of change the way you perceive yourself as well, yeah. similar to what you were saying before, yeah. Sandlin. Um yeah, it really puts things into perspective because you might be seeing yourself one way, but others see you another way. And sure. that will kind of help shape how you see yourself as well. Uh, you know, I mean, it's great to, to have it all internal and be positive about yourself, but it doesn't always come naturally. You need that reinforcement from those people that you value as well. Yeah. And one other pointer is actively go out there and give someone a compliment because when you genuinely compliment someone it can really lift their self-esteem and it'll also make them feel good inside and might add to that self-love yeah just spreading positive vibes yeah. even yeah, you know certainly. smiling at someone when you yeah. make eye contact yeah and just yeah. walking past them right it goes it, such a long way it passes on right because then they you know could pass that on to someone else yeah. and then it just kind of spreads that yeah. a little bit um Janaka, as a way of wrapping up the podcast, I know we spoke before about, you know, how you give back to the community in many ways, like being an ambassador, all the charitable, you know, things that you've taken part in. Um, why is giving back so important to you? So it's important for a couple of reasons. Um, one of the reasons is because, so it took me around 30 years to get to where I am now. So a very long time. And I don't want someone else to have to take 30 years. If it can take them, you know, half the time or a quarter of the time, then I feel like my work is done. And like, that is my mission now that no one else has to take as long as I did to get to where I am. So just That's don't a really want... great way of looking at it. I don't want people to struggle and I want people to stop struggling and start living. Yeah. That's amazing. Um, and you were recently interviewed by the ABC as well, yes. which is such a brave thing to do. Um, I think that article came out on the anniversary of your diagnosis as well, well right? Yeah, a couple of days before, so okay, quite yeah. close, yeah. Um, what was the experience like being the subject of that article and what gave you the courage to do that? 
It was a little unnerving, but at the same time, when when I was approached and told, you know, the ABC would like to interview you, I thought, this is an amazing opportunity to step up and share with the world about the struggles of people with NF, raise awareness, put my story out there so maybe someone else might see me and go, hey, I can do that, you know, I can be strong, I can be brave. So that's what kind of propelled me to do it. It was a little bit unnerving. I was very, very nervous. But I just I just thought it was really important to put, I guess, a public face for NF because um, there's a lady or a young woman named Carly Findlay. So she's been on the project. She's been interviewed by various media outlets. And she has a skin condition that also is, you know, makes her look not like the standard normal look. And I used to think to myself, why isn't there a young woman with NF speaking out like this? And then when I sort of was offered to become an NF ambassador, I thought to myself, I can be that woman with NF out there, you know, spreading the word. And so as soon as the ABC asked, I just had to say yes, because it was just such an amazing opportunity to get the word out there. So that's why I did it. I mean, I, I think that's so powerful. People like you having the courage to come out and share their stories. Um, Because like you said, there might be other people who are suffering alone internally, but seeing people like you uh, speak about your journeys and everything that you've gone through and how far you've come, um, a lot of people are going to connect with that. So it's it's really inspirational. Um, thank you. And, you know, thank you for having the courage to do that. Yeah, um, I had another story to share that I actually missed sharing earlier. Um, so there was actually a bit of a social media challenge that was going around called hashtag Bow Challenge. And all these women who had like, you know, like vitiligo or severely burned, disabled or Carly Finlay with ichthyosis, um, they were posting a mock-up of a cover of Vogue magazine where they were on the cover of the magazine. So I actually did the same thing. So I worked with CTF and we photoshopped me onto the cover of Vogue and popped it up on all the social media sites with the hashtag Vogue challenge. That's awesome. Just to sort of challenge that idea that only a certain kind of woman can be on the cover of these magazines. So part of the reason why I did that is to challenge those standards of beauty and say that any woman should be able to go on the cover of a magazine. Any woman is beautiful, no matter what she looks like. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. We need more of that. Yeah, certainly. And I guess, you know, similar to how when you were a young girl wondering and wishing that there was someone like you on the screen, Mm. there would be a young girl now who's who's seen you do these things. And that's just so much inspiration to someone. So it's, it's just amazing what you're doing. Thank you. Thank you. So, Janoka, do you have any recommendations for our listeners? I recommend looking up, actually, so this is a, the coaching program. So look up Unconventional. So it's Unconventional with a K. That's the coaching that I went through. Uh, you can find it on Instagram, which is b.unconventional. And he posts lots of great posts and things and really great courses as well. That's awesome. You know, hearing how much of an impact it's had in your life, I think I definitely will check that mm, out. Yeah, certainly. Good one. And do we have a combined recommendation from us, Rami? We do. So we have a collective recommendation from Sandin and I, and it actually relates to our previous episode on food. Um, It's actually a mini series that a friend of mine actually shared with me because it was just so timely with uh, the release of our previous episode. Um, It's called Gourmet Lazy and it's on ABC iViews, uh, YouTube, IGTV and Facebook. Yeah, it's a pretty cool series. Uh, So basically they get 
Aussies who are ethnic to cook dishes with their parents, um, you know, kind of dishes that they grew up eating. And they talk about food and their culture. And yeah, it's it's super cool yeah. kind of being a fly on the wall, watching these conversations yeah, happening. Yeah, exactly. So I think we should give that one a go. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thanks so much again, Janoaka, for joining us today. Thank you. You know, your story is so inspirational and hopefully us spreading it a little bit more will inspire some more people to reflect on their self-love and maybe have some more conversations with the people around them about it as well. Amazing. Thank you so much, guys. Thank you. Thanks, everyone, for listening to today's episode. I hope you guys were as inspired as I was after talking to Jana Waka. Um, as always, you can find us on Instagram at stuckinbetween underscore podcast. Remember to also hit the subscribe or follow button on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. And we will catch you on our next episode where we interview South Asian actor Rajan Velu and talk to him about the importance of representation and his career in the arts. Bye. <laughs>